Welcome to the Ivy Arts and Culture Podcast, conversations with some of the most interesting and influential leaders in the visual and performing arts. Discover a new art form, unlock your creativity, or dive deeper into an existing passion. I'm Ivy's Arts and Culture Director and your host, Phil Chan. For more information about Ivy and our arts and culture programming, visit culture.ivy.com. Robert Battle is the third artistic director of the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater, after Ailey himself, who founded the company, then Judith Jamison, Ailey's longtime muse. I wanted to talk to Robert because he's seven years into his term at the forefront of a company that has always been an incubator for work that focuses on social justice and social change. This is most evident in the success of Ailey's masterwork, Revelations, made in 1960, born out of the choreographer's, quote, blood memories of his childhood in rural Texas and with the Baptist Church. Using African-American spirituals, song sermons, gospel songs, and holy blues, Revelations explores the places of deepest grief and holiest joy in the soul. To me, it remains one of the great American ballets and is arguably one of the purest tributes to the resilience of the human spirit. When you see Revelations, it makes an imprint on your psyche, and it's one of the reasons why I try to bring Ivy members to experience the Ailey Company whenever they're in one of our Ivy cities. The work is very much alive and relevant considering what is happening in the world right now, and we're lucky enough to hear all about it from Robert Battle himself. If someone has never been to a dance performance before, mm-hmm. how should they approach the experience and how, what mindset should they be in in order to have an optimal experience? That's a great question because often I think people feel a little bit intimidated you know, about coming to a dance performance. Will I understand it? Same way I feel uh, the first time I picked up a Toni Morrison book. You know, it's like, oh boy, I'm lost. But part of, I think, is to not forget your sense of adventure. You know, that, that a lot of us, like, you know, sort of on a daily basis, like a crossword puzzle or something that is sort of like a Rubik's Cube. It's like, I'm not sure how I'm going to complete this, but I'm enjoying the exploration. I'm enjoying the sensation that I get watching it. I think, too, I always think when you're coming to see a dance performance or, or thinking about it is that don't forget what you already know. It's like I say that to my students. What we're going to do is continue to fill your shopping cart of, you know, things. We're not going to put stuff in and then take stuff out, right? And so the same thing, if I'm watching a dance, there's some basic stuff that we do physically all the time that we're unaware of in terms of how we see dance, you know, as simple as waving hello, saying goodbye. We're always taking cues off of people. If we're on the subway, you know, we decide what feels safe, you know, or not. We can sense when someone's sad because we see their shoulders or we see something in their face. We can sense, you know, just a lot of physical information that we're constantly giving and taking from one another all the time. And to me, that's not so different when, you know, you come to watch a dance, is that when you're watching the stage and you see a dancer, you know, sort of run in a circle, what does that remind you of? You know, it may remind you of your own youth. It's a, I think what we're trying to do is make connections. And you can always make connections. There are no wrong answers. I have many people come and see works of mine or other choreographers, and they, they will come up to me and they will tell me what they think the work is about. 
completely, and when I say completely, completely different from what I had in mind. But I'm more fascinated by what they got out of it than my own sense of why I was trying to make this dance. That kind of fun and exploration is what it's about. Your sense of um, adventure you should hold on to when you see a dance performance. Um, and again, I keep going back to the no wrong answer. It's, 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 it's how you engage with it. It's what you get out of it. And then I think, too, people have to realize that dance can hit you on many fronts, like live performance can, but certainly dance. You can just enjoy these bodies moving in these fascinating ways and not get one story. The story that you get is, I didn't know the human body could do that. That is so magnificent to see somebody defy gravity in that way. Wow. Wow is great too, you know? So that there are many ways you can come and, and view a dance performance. Um, and, and I think it's, it's too, that dances can also have stuff to do with social justice, you know? You, it, it can be about things that are very much relevant to the world in which we live, you know? And I always say, I'm, I'm doing my long form answer here, I'm sorry. I always say that dance um, has this sort of uh, the luxury of ambiguity, you know, that sometimes dance is able to sort of break through and give you hard doses of truth uh, where words can't because they're so polarizing, you know, so that that kind of freedom that we have in dance and movement means that you can get many different clues and stories uh, from watching a single dance or dance performance. Great. And you as a choreographer, what is your process to making work? Um, how do you, how does it turn from an idea to something finished on stage? And what is that conversation and process like for you? It, the, the process for me is usually um, music, you know, it's musically driven often is every now and then I go in the studio and I have one movement. It can be the most simplest thing from, you know, when I made a dance, my first dance for the Alvinil American Dance Theater was called Juba. But when I, before the dance had a name, I kept having this image of my fists and beating on my thighs, like in these sort of 16th notes or whatever. Um, and that was the sort of thing that kept coming back again and again. And then I met with my friend who's a composer, John Mackey, and I told him what I was seeing. I was like, what I'm hearing is Stravinsky. You know, I'm hearing Rite of Spring. Dun, 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 dun. So that was that thing. I was like, now what if you could do, like, what was it? Stravinsky meets uh, Led Zeppelin in a bar. What would happen then, especially after a few whiskeys? Um, so he went away and he created this thing that has some of that in it, but it has a little rock and roll in there and it has, a, you know. And then, this is really interesting, because this was like, sometimes you make a dance and sometimes you uncover. Is that the right word, uncover? You know, you sort of expose a dance that's there underneath the rubble, right? And that's how this felt. So, remember I got the pounding on the thighs. I've got, you know, all of this other stuff going on. And it was my first work for the main company. So I'm thinking, I want it to be called Jubilation. So I was sitting with a friend, and that was my title, working title. Then I thought, 
on second thought, it sounds a lot like Alvin Ailey's masterpiece and you know, one of the most known and seen modern dances ever created is Revelations, <laughs> you know, a suite of spirituals that expresses the experiences of African Americans in this country and how they overcame the atrocities of hate uh, through faith. And so the dance is cathartic in that way, uh, but connects to everybody because it's a message of hope. So as you can imagine, you don't want to come into the company with a title that sounds too much like the signature work. I said, well, what if we shorten the title? And I mean, I, don't, I just had thigh beating here. So we said, what about Jubilee? I said, huh, sounds like a musical. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like a review. Um, then we sort of said, Jubai, Juba. Now, in my ignorance, I knew nothing about Juba. I was literally playing with condensing the word. And then I said, well, let's see, do we make up a word? <laughs> you know, let's check the dictionary before we were on the computer. We checked the dictionary and it said like a dance brought over from Africa by uh, slaves that uses hand padding, beating on the thighs, beating on the legs, shuffling to make sound, blah, 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 which eventually developed into tap dance, you know, because it sort of merged with uh, clog dancing and all of that. It was like one of those things where it started with some abstract thing, and the more I uncovered and unearthed, the dance was trying to call me to it. So anyway, I say that to say that that's sometimes the way. Other times, it's an assignment. And I'm thinking of a work uh, called No Longer Silent that I made for Juilliard in 2009. And this was a project um, that a conductor, um, James Conlon, who now conducts the uh, Los Angeles Opera, uh, who was also a student at Juilliard at some point, um, was coming back to Juilliard to do a series of concerts. One of the things that he's passionate about is passionate about is the f forgotten music or lost voices of composers that were silenced or worse during the Nazi regime. And so three composers were chosen um, and then three choreographers were chosen to match up with that particular score or composer. And so I was asked um, by Larry Rhodes to create a work um, to music by Erwin Schulhoff, uh, who died in a concentration camp of tuberculosis. Um, and the music is called Ogallala, which actually was a dance that there's like very little record of about a Native American chief and its protagonist. And you know, well, my dance didn't end up being that. The music reminded me a lot of of early uh, Stravinsky, um, very strident, um, episodic, you know, reminded me of the early Graham works, you know, uh, it reminded me of Steps in the Street, that kind of thing. So I said yes. Um, but as I listened to the music and I started to read more about Erwin Shuloff, about his story and do research, of course, about the war, but also to connect with Erwin Shuloff as an artist living at that time. The work was composed in the 1920s before 
uh, the Nazi regime. But it seemed to me, from what I was reading about his own life and about uh, what he went through, that he was almost telegraphing it. It was a sense that he was sort of, um, I could hear the whole story in the score. And so the reason I called it No Longer Silent, because through his art, through the artifacts of, of you know, our past, like spirituals, uh, that those forgotten voices are no longer silent, as long as we uh, make sure that we give voice to uh, the unheard or what have you. And so that was a huge project for me, probably one of the most serious works I've undertaken. But it came as something that I didn't go after, it sort of came to me. So I guess it's a similar story in that way. Uh, but but that was interesting because I'd never done a dance where I really did research about a particular time um, with, you know, just sort of the dance itself is a collage of images and photos uh, from that time uh, on the stage. So it's a, a quite, quite an important work for me. Great. You were talking about um, voices. Mm -hmm. uh, and I know that there's a there's buzz right now about female choreographers, people of color, making work. The Ailey Company has always been uh, a home for maybe more marginalized people mm -hmm. and choreographers mm -hmm. to come here and have fertile ground to mm -hmm. make work. Um, what are your thoughts about um, sort of the inequalities in dance around race and gender? Mm -hmm. um, you know, what, what, what do you think our current efforts will add up to? What do we need to be doing more of? Yeah. Um, is leveling the playing field important? Why is it important to have many voices at the table? Yeah. We'd just love to hear your thoughts on, because I feel like there's a shift is happening now. Yeah. A, yeah. An awareness is happening now, and would love to hear your thoughts on, you know, as, as a director commissioning works, mm -hmm. um, you know, what do you look for? All, all of that. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and I think we all collectively need to do more, you know. Uh, we're in the process of um, something I can't talk about the the project, but certainly um, of addressing it um, the notion of it being systemic, not just you know I think it doesn't just add up to it 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 certainly helps when directors or whomever you know dean of dance somewhere chooses a female choreographer, but just like with all things that have to do with inequities, it's usually more systemic, and that's a band-aid on a bullet wound, you know? And so looking at how this reflects the culture uh, at large, you know, yes, it may seem like a dance thing, but it's really a world thing, you know, of... Um, the notion of entitlement, the notion of who gets in, who gets heard, the culture around, you know, sort of the muse, and what does that look like? You know, some of it is sort of baked in uh, for all of us. And so I think that the discussion perhaps has to go deeper to the psychology of the whole thing, you know, of, of, of why we're here, why we see the world in which we do, and that we all have to sort of admit that we need to do more, that we haven't always been aware of that, you know? And so I, I think that, 
you know, it's one of those things, you know, and I've, I've seen where people try to sort of say something about it and they get, you know, they get leveled. And sometimes it's their own doing, you know, of saying things inartfully. But I think we have to find a space where people can say things that aren't necessarily political, ex uh, politically expedient so that we can get to the heart of the matter, you know, to not just shut people down, you know. But, and sometimes you do have to correct people. I'm not saying that at all. You know, I've had to be corrected and things you know, all my life. But sometimes you have to sort of state your ignorance for it to be so, so that you can get educated. So I think that we're, we're I think that there too is a shift that is uh, underway. And I'm hopeful that it'll get beyond the surface of, you know, sort of the way we look at diversity having to do with, oh, you've got two, two of these and two of these and two of those. That's not the end of the story. Do you know what I mean? Because what are the two doing? You know what I'm saying? If I'm still going through the back door, then it's not really making a huge difference. You know, so, so I, I think that there's an opportunity here to really, for us all to look at ways that we are contributing or not uh, to the inequity of, of choreographers, not just female choreographers, but people of color and, and, and the like. I mean, it's interesting. You know, a lot of what I'm doing is expressing the diversity, you know, of my dancers as as not just in terms of color, but what we're capable of, you know. And so, yes, I have choreographers from Europe. I have choreographers from different places because I'm focused on the diversity within my own sort of company, you know, that some of the things that are still taboo about you know, a uh, modern dancer, certainly of color, dancing work by, let's say, Wayne McGregor or Chroma, or that kind of ignorance still exists. And so those are some of the things that, that I address in the way that I address them, you know, that, that, so it's, it's, we are a work in progress. We all are a work in progress, and certainly this country is. I'm gonna leave that right there. Okay, well, I'm gonna keep, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. gonna keep poking. Okay. So, away. so the last time you and I spoke, uh, you know, it was during the Obama era. Uh, diversity was a big buzzword, mm -hmm. and uh, inclusion, questioning what cultural equity looks like, what mm -hmm. it means, is, was sort of a big conversation. And then, uh, I think this election, this past November, has really shifted the conversation. Mm -hmm. um, as a black man in America today, as a black artist. As Alvin Ailey, um, have you noticed a change in your audiences? Have you noticed a new urgency to the work you're producing? Um, is is Ailey the mirror we all need right now mm. to take a good hard look at ourselves? What um, have you noticed a change since the election? Uh, I've, if I've noticed anything, um, is that I hear a lot. You know, when people come to see. The performance that oh, I needed that. Even before the curtain goes up, you you have a sense that there's a certain urgency around getting to that theater, and getting around similar like-minded people, um, and having the shared experience. What I've also noticed that 
the lens is different, right? Because I was doing this work, or my repertory was chosen before any election, you know, that we speak of. Um, being attracted to works that had to do with social justice. But now, so people sometimes think that that work was chosen specifically as a response. And no, it's chosen because that's what we do. You know what I mean? Um, so I find through the lens now, sort of people make connections. Well, that's not a bad thing. You know, that's actually good because it's important for people to understand that the work we do um, reflects the world in which we live. As Alvin Ailey said once, that what he was really trying to do is hold a mirror to society so that people could see how beautiful they are. You know, and sometimes you have to see the ugly first to get to the beauty. But that is important. And the way that the arts, dance, um, this company, when you see in the audience people who are from different economic backgrounds, different cultural backgrounds, uh, different age groups coming together, there's a reason why they need this work to feed the soul and enlighten and uplift. You know, one of the works we do, one of the new works is uh, called Untitled America, which if one looked through the lens of now, it could seem like a definite response. But he came up with that title. Kyle Abraham is a wonderful uh, choreographer, um, MacArthur Genius Award-winning choreographer, just, you know, just to drop some knowledge there. Um, but it was, it's about uh, mass incarceration. But the way he tells the story it is through individuals who are being interviewed about their experiences. So it becomes more about those personal and interpersonal primary relationships that are sometimes cut short or sometimes rediscovered through uh, some of the difficulties, you know, that they go through. And people always leave that work, I mean, they're usually standing on their feet, you know, that sense that they, even though some of it made them feel sad, some of it made them maybe even a little angry, but at the end they feel that they've been inspired and uplifted, you know, as much as singing the blues isn't about being sad, it's about getting happy. And so I find that I see that more. I feel a sense of urgency around coming together in the safety of the theater to sort of um, have something reflect how they're feeling on the inside. You know, that's important. What is the potential for the arts to affect social change and how does that work? I think it has a great potential, and I think it has affected um, uh, cultural change. I think when I think about people today seeing revelations, you know, um, and when I'm asked, you know, you've been doing that dance for since it's 1960, you know, closing mostly every program, don't you, you know, want to change that in a way and not have to do it all the time? Well, when I see that there is no more need for revelations, then maybe that could happen, you know, but is today so much different from yesterday? You know, yes, there are differences, but the notion of inequality, the um, same sort of issues around power, who gets it, who doesn't, uh, some of these same things are still very much a part 
of our world, if not very much is probably saying it sort of nicely. We need revelations. And I think it does make a difference. You can't always measure that. And that's the thing about the arts, you know. There's this thing called faith and knowing that when somebody's inspired, they tend to pass it on. They tend to, if, if, if I read a good book or see a great performance, I tend to want to share it. The people who come to see the performance and say, my grandmother brought me, you know, um, since I was a little girl, she passed away, but now I bring my daughter. The person that sees it and sort of may study a little bit of dance, but becomes a teacher or becomes a supporter, you know, of what we do because they know the transformative power of it. You can't always measure it bit by bit in that way, you know, and say, well, this statistic says this. But you certainly hear the stories, and you certainly see how revelations, no matter if we're doing it here, or dare I say, in Russia, across the street or across the ocean, that that message of hope is enlightening and uplifting and transformative. That we do know. Thanks for listening to the Ivy Arts and Culture Podcast. For more information about Ivy and our over 400 cultural programs nationwide, visit culture.ivy.com. We are pleased to be able to include the New York Philharmonic's recording of Igor Stravinsky's Petrushka as part of our podcast. For more information about the New York Philharmonic, please visit them on the web at nyphil.org.